0: Have your Bibles, would you take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 1 this morning? Romans chapter 1, and uh, we have been in a series of messages that we have been calling bodybuilding, and we have been looking at the body of Christ and how both corporately as well as individually scripture tells us that we are to build each other up. And as we've been going through this series, we found ourselves. Really for the last three weeks and the next week, we're going to wrap this all up just before Easter. And uh, we have been going through this series the last two weeks and then today and then next week. We've been looking at this in the aspect and the idea of how do we speak the truth in love? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 has this interesting phrase in there. And it's kind of where um, we've, we've parked for the last few weeks. And I felt that, that God has wanted us to look at this a little bit more deliberately as we have been going through this season. And so Ephesians chapter 4, um, just real quick to read that, it says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. And so we've been in this, this season where we're talking about this whole idea here of, of what Paul uh, points out to us. And he says that we are to speak, right, the truth. And the truth is the big subject that we've kind of been looking at here. And this idea of speaking in Ephesians chapter 4 is more than just what we say. It has far more um, importance than that. It's how you live. It's everything that you do. It's how you live out your life. Are you living out the truth? But it's not enough just to say these things. He says that we are to do them in love. And so this is a critical thing for us to remember. So last week we talked about this idea of love. And when we did... We did it in this sense that our first love needs to be for Jesus and then for other people. Revelation chapter two, verse four, Jesus speaking to this same church in Ephesus that the book of Ephesians was written to. He said, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. So, we must first look at our own hearts, and we 've got to examine: am I doing all that I do out of love? Is my love for God at the priority of who I am? And then we talked about this in the context of how we communicate in our relationships, and if you remember we we, we took a look at this from this idea if you 've got two people, and this is this is one, and then you 've got another person here, do you remember do you remember when you were that skinny remember that so let's let's say this is you right here, okay. And you've got truth, and you're going to share it. You're going to live it. You're going to communicate that truth to another person. And this is the other person. What we find is sometimes they're either not expecting it. They're caught off guard. Maybe they're even a little angered by the truth and what they find there. And in the midst of that, there's some things that we need to consider. If we're going to be able to communicate appropriately, we've got to consider some things. For one, we have to consider how is it that they hear ...what it is that we're saying. How is it that they perceive what it is that we're doing? Because before we're able to really communicate about truth... ...we have to consider how is this other person receiving this? What is their idea of truth? Isn't that the case in any relationship? If you're going to communicate, you can't just be concerned about what you're going to say. You have to really think about how the other person is going to receive it. So on the one hand, you have to think about how they're going to receive the truth on the other you have to be aware of how it is that you communicate that truth. How do you speak it so they can hear it? How do you live it so they can see it? That's what truth is so critical for us to do if we're going to communicate appropriately. Now, we talk oftentimes about things in two different senses. And uh, sometimes we say something is on a, on a micro level, and sometimes we say it's on a macro level. Have you heard those words? And macro means that you take a large-scale Overall look at things. And micro is that that you get kind of down on a small personal scale a little bit differently. Next week, we're going to take a look at if I'm going to communicate the truth to someone. If I'm going to speak the truth in love, how do I do that on a micro level? Kind of one-on-one. I'm going to call somebody up. I'm going to say something. I'm going to communicate it in a way. How do I do that one-on-one? That's where we're going to go next week. But it's not just our one-on-one relationships, but we also live in a, in a big world, don't we? So this morning, I want to talk about how do we speak the truth in love more on a macro level? How do we communicate God's truth to a culture that we live in? Because sometimes it's important for us to communicate truth to other people. A friend of mine told me a, told me a, a joke this week. And he said... Um, and, and I'm going to blame him for this, but here's, here's how the joke works. He said there was a math book. Do you, do you know what a math book is? Like you went to elementary school, a math book. A math book walked into a psychologist's office. And when he did, the doctor looked at him and said, I can see you have problems. And the math book said, yes, and they're multiplying. Oh, did you get that? Did you get it? Bad joke, right? Sometimes, even though it's awkward, it might make you groan a little bit, you've got to speak the truth. So if we do that today, let's talk about how do we speak the truth in love to a culture, to the world around us, kind of on a macro level. And here's, here's, here's where it gets interesting. We live, as many would say, in a truthless culture, in a culture that has disregarded God's truth. So today I want to talk to you about why we found ourselves in a truthless culture. This is important because if we're going to communicate truth to others in the world around us, we have to know why people believe the way they believe, why they think the way they think. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is why we're in a truthless culture. And then the second thing is how do we communicate truth in that truthless culture? So to do this, we're going to Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1, what Paul does for us is he maps out what people have done, what humanity has done with the truth of God's word. guy said to me, uh, first service today, as we were walking into the sanctuary together, and he says, Pastor, I'm looking forward to an encouraging word from you today. And I looked at him and I went, well, here's hoping. Um, Because I I can't just outright say this is probably the most encouraging sermon you're ever going to hear. Sometimes the, the truth is a little hard to hear, isn't it? What you find in Romans chapter 1 is the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he's helping them to understand why Jesus is important. He wants them to know why they need Jesus as their Savior. And to do that, in Romans chapter 1, he begins by talking to them about what, what I would refer to as the downward spiral of mankind. What happened that brought us to a place where we are what we would refer to as a truthless culture. So listen to what Paul says. Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. He says, the wrath of God, which can, can I just stop there for just a moment? Because sometimes we think of the wrath of God in the same way that we think of the way that you drive on 475, right? Yeah, and if you laugh, you're guilty. Uh, right? Right? It's kind of that road rage. We get upset. We get frustrated. We let our emotions get the best of us. And when we think of wrath, we think in that way. God is not a vengeful, road raging God. He is a God who is righteous. He is a God who's just. He does what is fair. And he loves without any kind of restriction. He loves unhindered. But he also is a righteous judge. He is a great God who does the things that are right. And he disciplines when he needs to. And he has to do what's right and fair if he's going to be God. Does that make sense? So that's where this idea of his wrath comes from. And it says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who, listen to this, suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Two, two quick things there that's good for us to know. One is this truth is found in the word of God and in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, we've said this repeatedly throughout these last few weeks, but it's important that we start there and we recognize this. There is absolute truth. And we believe that it exists. We believe that we need to live according to it. That there is absolute truth in the world. And the truth is found in the word of God. And John chapter 1 tells us that word became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the embodiment of truth. And absolute truth is found only in the word of God. But what Paul tells us here in Romans chapter 1 is that humanity has suppressed the truth about God. They've taken God's truth and they've dismissed it. They've taken God's truth. And they've, they've tried to push it down, either because it makes us uncomfortable or because we don't like it or, or because maybe just because we have a sinful nature. But humanity has suppressed the truth about God, which then leads to this, this downward spiral that we're talking about here. So what I want to give to you as we walk through the rest of Romans chapter 1 is four symptoms of a truthless culture. Four symptoms, based on the things that Paul says here. Four symptoms of a truthless culture. Beginning with Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Let's walk through these. He says this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So here's here's what Paul says that even though truth was available to humanity, we've taken that truth and we've suppressed it. And here's the first symptom of a, of a truthless culture. There's a dismissal of God. Symptom number one, there's this dismissal of God. Where we say, God, either we don't believe in you or God, even if we do believe in you, we kind of we don't want to think about you. We don't want to deal with you. We certainly don't give you the glory that you deserve. We don't give you first place in our lives. Or it comes down to this This simple of a thing, Paul says there, they stopped giving thanks to him. And this is where this idea of a truthless culture actually has begun. You may even know in your own life, if you've been a follower of Christ for a while, and maybe you went through a season, or maybe you kind of walked away from God, or you kind of stepped away from the church, or maybe in your own heart, you're like, hey, I did what I wanted to do. That you know that oftentimes that just begins with you saying, God, I just... I kind of want to. I kind of want to dismiss you, God. I I I, I, don't, I don't. I don't. I don't have space in my life for you right now. I don't really want to deal with the truth right now. And many times, this begins with just us forgetting to be grateful. Here, here's a principle that's not just true about God. I, I think it's true in every area of our lives that a lack of gratitude leads to a hardened heart. Do you agree with that? A lack of gratitude leads to a hardened heart. Think about it even in the context maybe of your own marriage. And I know this to be true, that if I begin to take Rhonda for granted, if you begin to kind of dismiss that person in your life, if you fail to recognize the things that you can be grateful for, instead what settles in is is this idea of I take people for granted and I kind of dismiss those things that other people have done for me and my heart begins to be hardened because a lack of gratitude leads to a hardened heart. And the same thing is true with God. And what Paul says here is that humanity began this downward spiral simply by dismissing God and pushing God out of the way. And this is so critical because when we fail to recognize God for who he is, we take the first step toward depravity. That first kind of move, that first spiral kind of down the drain starts with a recogni- well, a failure to recognize who God is, and then we start heading towards depravity. So the first symptom of a truthless culture is a dismissal of God. Here's the second thing. Romans chapter 1, verse 22. And before I go any further, have you ever seen a dismissal of God in our culture? It's not just me then, right? You've seen it? Okay. Romans chapter 1, verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now, before we before we go any further and and, and just like for the record, Paul brought this up. I didn't. Okay, so I'm just reading. I'm just reading what Paul said. But do do you know what a spoiler alert is? Like if you're reading a movie review or something about, you know, a book or something, and they, they tell you where something's going, how they, they might ruin the plot for you. That's kind of a spoiler alert. We're going to tell you how this is going to end. In just a few moments, Paul's going to go, in, in Romans chapter 1, even a little bit more deeper into the area of human sexuality. So if, if I, I, just, I just want you to know, hey, I told you we're going here. So if, if maybe you're watching online with small children or you're here, that makes you uncomfortable. We're going to talk about this for just a few moments in the context of what Scripture says. And Paul says what happened is that when they dismissed God, when they pushed Him out of the way, he says that they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal things. And the second symptom, symptom number two of a truthless culture is idolatry. Once we push God out of the way, then we set something up in His place. And oftentimes, we like a God that we can control something that we've created, something that we understand, even if we, we set it up in whatever way. And as Paul's speaking to the people in Rome, and maybe you've studied Roman mythology in a history class. Maybe you know that it was a place 2,000 years ago of idols and gods and goddesses. And Paul's speaking to them, and he's telling them there is this next kind of symptom of a godless culture, which is idolatry. And setting something up in the place of God It's easy for us to point the finger at Rome and say, well, they did that, but I don't have an idol in my living room. No, but humanity has a tendency to reject the real thing for a cheap substitute. It's just kind of in our nature. We go the path of least resistance. We, we take what is cheap. We take what is easy. And humanity has a tendency to reject the real thing for a cheap substitute. I rarely go through the drive-thru at a fast food restaurant that I don't pull away, eat my sandwich, and then say, boy, I wish I'd gone for something that was actually made of real meat. Fair? Do you know what I'm talking about? But we do this. This is how we're wired. And you might not have a, an idol set up in your living room. But I'm sure that there are things that you're tempted to put in the place of God. And we watch it in our humanity, and we worship riches, and we go after power. And for many of us, we push God out of the way, and we put our own desires, maybe even our own fears or concerns or our worries, and we worship our fears instead of worshiping a God who can conquer our fears. Does that make sense? And so this idea of idolatry is not just one for 2,000 years ago. It's, it's really relevant today. And we must not confuse the creature for the creator god created us he's the one who's given us the source of all truth and we've got to be careful that we don't put created things or ourselves or other people in the place of god we must not confuse the creature for the creator so paul says symptoms of a truthless culture you've got um, a dismissal of god you've got idolatry he's already hinted at this idea of sexual impurity watch where he goes next romans chapter 1 verse 26 paul says because of this God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Here's the third symptom of a truthless culture, and it's immorality. It's immorality. See, what happens is we push God out of the way. Then we set up a God of our own making. And as a result, then we can do whatever we want to do. And then that leads us to a place where truth is out of the way and immorality becomes rampant. And what Paul says to us here, if you you break this down, listen to what he says, that a disregard for God and his truth in a culture leads to a society infatuated with sexual sin. And he he points this out for us. That a disregard for God in a culture leads to a society infatuated with sexual sin. And I'm going to guess at some point, if we're, just, if we're just honest, somewhere along the lines, we've all been affected by it, haven't we? I mean, it's everywhere in the world around us. And God's word speaks to us about this and, and causes us to challenge these ideas and, and think about them. Just yesterday, I picked up the the most recent copy of Time magazine. Here's, um, here's an article that was in there. Um. Uh, just yesterday the title happy campers documenting a rural retreat for and I never heard this title before gender creative kids and I thought what is that so I began to read this and it's about this camp for um, children and it says the camp serves about 30 families with children ages 6 to 12 who gather in different rural settings around the country each year Almost all the children are biological boys who like to wear girls' clothing, and uh, this this author went and took pictures and wrote a book about this whole experience, so they could share the what what she referred to as the beauty of this with other people. And the quote here is: "Living with ambiguity can be very hard," writes one of the parents in a reflection in the book. The beauty of the camp is that it allows the kids who live comfortably in the middle a difficult space to occupy during the rest of the year and and the the thing that challenges me here is because what this article calls beautiful God's word says is not in line with the way he created things right 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 you bunch of bigoted midwesterners you intolerant right because here, here, was, here was another quote um, that I, I saw in Time Magazine yesterday. The fashion company uh, Dolce & Gabbana has recently announced their opposition to gay adoptions. And Elton John, not, not the apostle, but the musician, do you know who I mean? That that John? Here's his quote. He says, your archaic thinking is out of step with the times, just like your fashions. Your Your archaic thinking just doesn't understand what it means to be a gender creative child. And I know that there's a lot of challenge and there's a lot of things that we wrestle with, but here's, here's what I also know. I know that God has given us truth. And that we at some point have to say we stand for that truth because a disregard of God and his truth in a culture leads to a society infatuated with with sexual sin. And there's grave consequences to that. And we don't say this out of any kind of spirit of hate or we don't say it out of any kind of spirit of of just wanting to kind of win. I just know what God's word says and what it speaks. And what Paul does here in Romans chapter 1 is he really opens up this subject, probably more so here in Romans 1 than anywhere else in Scripture where he talks about this idea of homosexuality. And as I as I wrestled with this um with this message, I had to ask myself the question, why does Paul land there? Why does why does he take so much time not only to talk about sexual perversion, which he, he points out repeatedly in his epistles, because that's that's one of the sins in, in culture and society and we'll talk about why in, in just a moment. But then he kind of hones right in on this idea of homosexuality in verses 26 and 27. Why, why does he do that? In part because as a Jewish um, theologian writing to a Roman culture, this was a sin of their age. It was an issue of their day. It was something that Paul felt for the believers he needed to address and help them to understand God's perspective and what God's word was. And would you also agree that this whole idea of human sexuality is an issue of our day? And so here's, here's what I want to do. Just, just two things. I, I, I want to take a couple of moments and and talk about this issue from a biblical perspective with regards to homosexuality. Now, let's, let's do this in, in two different ways. One, one is this. If, if you would like more kind of information on what do we believe as a church, because I can only take a minute and kind of unpack this. If you biblically want to know what is it that we as a church would believe, let me point you to a website. It's ag.org. We're part of a group of churches here at Calvary called the Assemblies of God. And our fellowship has put together certain uh, documents that help us to understand what we believe. So if you go to AG for Assemblies of God, ag.org, at the very top of the page, there's a a link that says Beliefs. And if you click on that, there will be a pop, uh, kind of a pull-down thing that, that one of the things you can choose is position papers. And our position papers as a fellowship say what we believe about some culturally relevant issues. And there's a position paper, if you click on that, that talks about homosexuality and same-sex marriage. And you can go there and, and for yourself, see more of a biblical perspective on why we believe what we believe. And we'll talk about that here in the next moment. The other thing is this. When I, um, when I watch the Buckeyes play or when I go to a Pittsburgh Steelers game, I put on my gear and I cheer and I yell because I want to win, Right? And if I am winning, I cheer all the louder because I want the other team to know that they are losers, right? You're the same way. Man, if I'm winning, (laughs) I want to know. And sometimes, especially in a setting like this, when we talk about some of these issues, so, some of us want to get a little fired up. We want to, we want to cheer. We want to yell because we want, we want to win. Can I just ask you this for these next few moments in particular, as I talk about what God's word says about this, can I just help us to understand that all of us are, are desired by God to be on his team and experience his grace and his love. And when we talk about these issues, it's not with an idea of we want to win or we want to be right. I just, I just want to speak the truth in love. So can, can you help me to do that for just a moment? So let me make just a couple of statements here. The the first is this, that the Bible says that homosexual lust and homosexual behavior is a sin. The Bible very clearly in both the Old Testament and the New Testament maps out for us that God's creation in design for sexual experience is for a male and a female in marriage for a lifetime of commitment. And anything outside of that, God says, he, he, calls, he calls sin. And so according to God's word, homosexual lust and homosexual behavior, and I'm not talking here about the idea of attraction. I'm not talking here about, about uh, preference or some of these things. I mean, that we don't have time to unpack all of this. But what I'm saying is this, homosexual lust and homosexual behavior, in the very same way that heterosexual lust and heterosexual sex outside of marriage, those things, God's word says, are sin. And here in Romans chapter 1, Paul really unpacks this. And he says that this homosexual activity is sin because it is outside of the natural order of how God created things. If you, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, what you see there in Genesis chapters 1 through 3, and then all throughout Scripture is an affirmation that sexuality, as God has created it, is to be for one man, one woman, in marriage for a lifetime. That's God's design. That's God's design. And anything outside of that is sin. And some people will say, well, when Paul talks here in in Romans chapter 1, and he talks about women and women and men and men, he's speaking about, and this is the argument you'll hear sometimes, he's speaking about temple prostitution, or he's thinking about idolatrous worship, and that he means that, that that's in an abusive sense and not in a loving sense. But the truth is, if you look at the words that Paul uses here, He's not speaking about this as temple prostitution. He's not speaking about this in an abusive way. He uses very general words here in the Greek for male and female. And he says that male with male and female with female is outside of the natural order of how God created things. This is, this is the scriptural truth that we see here and i know that when we say this there's this tendency to go in our culture in our day that's not right that's intolerant how can you be bold enough to say that the nice part is i didn't he did okay so that's so let's start there now though let's let's dial this back a minute and think about this i want you to know that homosexuality is not the only sexual sin there's a whole bunch of them and for your sake i'm not going to read all the ones that the bible lists Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, in, in the book of Mark, he uses a word to, to describe um, sexual sin. And he uses a word, and it's pornea in the Greek. It's the same word from which we get our term pornography. And what he speaks about there is any kind of sexual sin. Anything outside of sexual relations between a husband and a wife, God views this outside of his creator order, and, and he calls that sin. So we need to realize that even though there's some hot-button topics in our day, That homosexuality is not the only sexual sin. I think it's also good for us to know because sometimes in the church we get in our soapbox on different things. Homosexuality is not the only sin. In fact, in just a moment, I'm going to let Paul get in your face on some other sins. There's a whole list of them. And some of you are good at them. So we're going to look at that and see what Paul says So homosexuality is not the only sin. Here's the deal with sin. The problem with sin is that it separates us from God. It keeps us from what God has for us. See, God doesn't map out what's sin and what's not sin. God doesn't speak truth because he hates us or because he doesn't love us or because he's trying to take away our fun or because he doesn't want us to be able to express ourselves. He gives us truth because he knows what's best for us. We talked about that last week, right? It's because we have a loving God who says, I want you to be in right relationship with me and I want you to have my best for your life. We'll talk about this even a little bit more next week when we when we look at this kind of on that micro one on one level and why that is so very important. But the problem is that sin separates us from God. But here's what happens with sin. We we start to get used to it. When we get familiar with it, when we're around it, it desensitizes us to how important God's truth really is. You know, Ephesians chapter 5 says to us, Paul says that we should really be careful about crude language and what we listen to and the words that we use. But we hear and see so much crude language in and out of our lives that it really doesn't bother us, does it? We get used to it. And the same thing is happening in our day with regards to this issue of sexuality. And we become used to it, even to the point. I mean, this is right here in the news with major mainline denominations making big decisions even this week. When we see it all throughout, things go into the Supreme Court. And we start to go, well, if if the law of man says it's okay, then what's it's, it's not illegal. And if it's not illegal, why can't I do it? And here's what I would encourage you with. The law of man must never trump the laws of God. The laws of man must never trump the laws of God. Any of you ever played Euchre? We had, a, we had a men's night here the other night. One of the things we did, we kind of had a little euchre tournament. And if you've not played euchre, it's, it's, a, it's a card game. And part of what you do when you play is is one of the cards, you, you pick a suit, and that's Trump. And then the jack of that suit is the highest card that you can get, right? Man, if you look down at your hand and you've got the jack of nines or whatever it is, you know, you got, you got the one. And you look at that and you're like, man, I got it. I got Trump. And you just wait. I sat there the other night with, the, we had one guy who just cleaned up. He won the whole little thing that we were doing. But, but I'm sitting there and I get the, I get the jack of nines or whatever it was. I don't know what it was, you know, and you're like, man, I got that card. I don't care what that Joker does. I get, bam, I got him, right? Because you, you got that, you got that Trump. Look, what happens sometimes, we think that if man says it's okay, then it's cool. But the laws of man must never trump the laws of God. Because if they do, we face great consequences. Rejecting God's laws has severe consequences for a society. When we reject God's laws, there are severe consequences for a society. Now look, there's always been sin. And there's always been people who have done immoral things but when a culture begins to acknowledge and and as Paul will say in a minute here even almost applaud it it's a dangerous place to be i know i've i've read this before in a in a message but i think it's just so important and timely sigmund freud if you're familiar with him was a was a kind of the the, the one we look to in so many ways historically is kind of the father of psychology and all these things. And one of his premises was this, was that he thought that much of the issues that, that humanity faced was because they were sexually um, restricted and that if we had more sexual freedom rather than living within the bonds of what we would call Christian marriage, let's say, if we could have more sexual freedom, that, that would that would be a better thing for people, that societies would be better. So there was this British anthropologist named J.D. Unwin And he began to do exhaustive research to investigate the assertions that Freud made. He wanted to prove that Freud was right. But in the process, he discovered that Freud's call for the liberation of sexual behavior had grave consequences for society. Listen to this. In his research, Unwin chronicled the historical decline of, listen to this, 86 different cultures. So he looked at history and he mapped them out. And he saw that for 86 different cultures, their decline came, he found that strict marital monogamy was central to social energy and growth. So when they practiced, whether they were a Christian society or not, when they practiced what we would refer to as biblical marriage, a commitment of one man to one woman for a lifetime, when that was practiced in the society, there was social energy and growth. They saw prosperity. Things moved forward for them. But, he said, no society flourished... For more than three generations without it. When a society dismissed the concept of biblical marriage and took a sexual approach in whatever way they wanted to, that society, after three generations, lost their energy, lost their strength, lost their prosperity, lost their prominence, lost their influence, and that society began to decline. Unwin wrote, in human records, there is no instance of a society retaining its energy after a complete new generation has inherited a tradition which does not insist on prenuptial and postnuptial continence." by which he meant abstinence from sex outside of marriage. Those are some scary stats, aren't they? So what does that mean? That means that a dismissal of God's truth has severe consequences for a society. How about this for an encouraging message? (laughs) But here's where it's important for us to recognize. That even in the midst of all of this, I know this, that no matter what thing you struggle with, the Scripture refers to a sin. Whether it's a sexual uh, immorality, uh, an issue, a sexual sin like we talk about here. Whether it's that you have an issue with lying or you have an issue with stealing. I don't know what it might be, but you go, hey, that, that's what hits me in a certain place. The bottom line is this. I know that we serve a God who not only comes with truth but also with grace. Amazing grace, right? And with that, he brings his love and his forgiveness and his healing and his strength to our lives if we're open to receiving that forgiveness and grace from him. Isn't that true? Okay, so that's what it has to come down to for us, that we recognize that God's grace and forgiveness and his freedom are available. And I hope you'll see this too. Our prayer is that this will be a place where you can experience it. And I know that oftentimes, especially in the church, we've been quick to call people out and make their identity be their sin. We've been quick to call people out and and blame them without giving hope or without giving grace and not speaking the truth in love. And I hope you'll recognize this. We ask your forgiveness if you've struggled with some area of sin and you felt more rejected than you felt loved. And Calvary is a place where you can know that God's truth will be proclaimed, but you'll also be accepted and you'll also find a place where you can experience His grace and His transforming power through His love and what Jesus did for us on the cross. Amen? And I think that's important for us to talk about because of the culture that we live in. So these symptoms that we've looked at, and I've, I've got a I've run here. Let's, let's look at this. We've talked about these, these, these symptoms. We've talked about a dismissal of God and idolatry and immorality. Here's a fourth thing. Listen to this list that Paul gives to us. Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Paul says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. That's a mouthful, isn't it? It's quite a list. Paul takes us from from, uh, murder to gossip to disobeying your parents, and I'm going to guess, I'm confident, somewhere in there, you were guilty as charged, right? And when I went through that list, some of you are actually overachievers. And what's it tell us? It tells us that the fourth symptom of a truthless culture is depravity. It's depravity. And, and we just don't have the time to, to, to really unpack this. Let me just say this. When, when we reject God's truth, there are severe consequences. When God's truth is rejected, there are severe consequences. So here, let's, let's just land here real quick. I want to tell you one more biblical story, and then we'll, uh, we'll leave. Because, are you hungry? Okay. All right. Because we've talked about why people view the truth as they do. We've talked about we live in a truthless culture. But then how do we live truth in a truthless culture? How do do we do that? Next week, again, we'll hit it on the micro level. But on the macro level, what do we do? How do we speak truth to a culture that's truthless? In the book of Daniel, we get an interesting model for this. If you've not read the book of Daniel, it's got some of the, the most famous Sunday school Bible stories that you may have heard when you were a little kid in Sunday school. And in particular, if you're not familiar with it, I encourage you read the first six or seven chapters of the book of Daniel and, and get an idea for what this story is. We talk about the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Have you heard that story? Shadrach, Meshach, and, the, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And then there's, sometimes we use the phrase that there's handwriting on the wall that comes out of the book of Daniel. That's where these, these stories come from. Now, as we talk about this, though, it's interesting for us to know that Daniel and, and his, his boys, he had, he had some friends that he was with, and we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were young men who lived in Israel, and then the nation of Babylon came in and conquered Israel, and they took the very best and brightest out of Israel, took them in exile to Babylon, and made them go through kind of a, a leadership training program so they could serve the, the emperor, so they could serve the king. And so Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were a part of this process. They were living the truth in a truthless culture. And there's three things we see in their story. Let me give them to you real quick. One is this, three keys for living truth in a truthless culture. Number one, you've got to determine the truth. You have to ask yourself, what will I live for? How will I stand? When Daniel and his, and his posse, and posse is a Hebrew word for, for gang, right? So when Daniel and his posse show up, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... They're offered food from the king's table. And they're like, you know what? Bah, we're, we're good Jewish boys. We can't eat that. The Old Testament laws restricted those things. Now, the New Testament grace has changed that. But those laws said they couldn't eat some of this really, really good food. And they were like, we, we can't eat that. We're going to eat what, what our God says we can eat. And they had to determine the truth. They had to say, this is how we will live our lives. And you're going to have to do the same thing. If you're going to live in a truthless culture, you have to ask yourself the question, what does the truth tell me I must do? What does the truth tell me I must do? How does it tell me I must live my life? You'll also have to ask yourself the question, what does the truth tell me I must not do? How do I live truth in a truthless culture? And those are some questions that all of us may have to wrestle with in the workplace, in our families, just in the world around us, what our values are. How do we live that out? So we have to determine what the truth is. The second thing we have to do is then we have to live out the truth. We have to live out the truth. For Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they determined we're going to live the truth. So if you fast forward to chapter 3 of the book of Daniel, you get this interesting story where the king sets up this big idol of himself. This big statue of him and says anytime you hear music, everybody has to bow down and they have to worship this idol. So they play the trumpets, they get the soundtrack going, and when they do, everybody hits the floor. They're worshiping the king except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they had determined what the truth was. And they said, look, king, we can't worship anything other than the one true God, so we're going to live out the truth. And if you're going to live out the truth, there's some things you need to know. If you're going to live out the truth, it requires action. You have to be willing to do something. And so for some of you, God may be calling you to live out the truth in some way. There's some standard that you need to take. There's some choices that you need to make in your life. If you're going to live out the truth, there may be some words that you need to speak. For some of you, it's, it's just a real place of action. Maybe God's been stirring in your heart to become a leader in some way. Maybe you're supposed to run for office. Maybe you're supposed to take a stand in some place. Where can you make a difference and live out the truth? And actually, the truth is, it might not only require action, it might mean sacrifice. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was the fiery furnace, which in February wouldn't sound so bad, right? But it's bad news. For Daniel, it was the lion's den bunch of hungry lions waiting for a meal just about like you at the end of this service. It may cost you something. But the truth is there comes a time where you need to live out the truth. What is it that God may be asking for you to do? Because here's what we're really good at as, as the church. Oftentimes we're really good to go, oh, there's so many problems in the world. There's so many bad things in the world. The world is such a place without God. The world is such a dark, dark place. But here's the thing with darkness. Darkness just does what it does naturally, doesn't it? You can't blame the darkness. The darkness is just acting according to its nature. What makes a difference with darkness is when there's light, right? Darkness is the absence of light. And so if you want to push darkness out, what do you need to do? You need to be the light. And so many times for us as the followers of Jesus Christ, the reason that there's darkness in the world is not the darkness fault. It, it might be ours, right? The issue isn't the darkness. The issue is the light. So where is it that God has called you to be light? Where has he asked you to go into a truthless culture and let your light shine and make a difference and live out the truth. Because if we don't, you know what we're left with? We're left with darkness. What has God called you to do to be the light? If you're going to live truth in a truthless culture, you're going to have to determine the truth. You're going to have to live out the truth. And then you need to let the truth set you free. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they ended up in the fiery furnace. You can read it in Daniel chapter 3. And I can tell you that if you're going to live out the truth, the heat's probably going to be turned up on you as well. But when you do, God will be with you. Because as you read the story, you find out that God was with them. And when you do, I'm not saying it won't be hard. I'm not saying that everything will turn out perfect. I just know this, that God will always be victorious. Isn't that true? When we live out the truth. Okay, you ready for one last quick confession? I'll sure be glad when these sermons are over. I'm looking forward to Easter. I can't wait to preach about the resurrection and grace and and how God changes our lives. But it's so critical. Why do we take time? Why are we talking about the truth? Why are we talking about some difficult cultural issues? Why Why do we hit... All these subjects that sometimes can be a little bit difficult or maybe even a little bit awkward um, for us to talk about. There was an amazing um, discovery that was made this last week that you might have seen. In the patent office, they found a patent from Seth Wheeler that goes back to 1891. He was the inventor of the perforated toilet paper. And he answered for all time the great question, does it go over or does it go under? (laughs) And his answer... It goes over. Yes, some of you can cheer. Those of you that are wrong, you can be humble enough to admit it. We are all overcomers right here, right? Even if you're an underdog. So here's how this works, okay? I'm pretty sure that if you went to Seth Wheeler, the creator of the toilet paper, and you asked him, just tell me the truth, Seth. Should it go over or under? I'm pretty sure he'd look at you. He's, he's dead now. But I'm pretty sure if he were here, he'd look at you and he'd say, I don't care. Just do whatever works for you. Here's the thing, though. I don't think your creator thinks the same way. And though that document told us the truth about toilet paper, this document tells us the truth about life, doesn't it? And he says that he is the way and the truth and the life. And the reason we take time to talk about truth is because someday you're going to stand before your creator. And his hope and his purpose for you is not to say, I don't care. Just as long as it worked for you. It's all right. I just wanted you happy. No, God says, this is the truth. And I know that this truth is what's best for you. And that's why I've given it to you. That's why we talk about it. That's why we live it. And that's why it matters so very much that in a truthless culture, you and I find a way to speak the truth in love. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? And um, thanks for your, your patience and thanks for listening today. And today we're going to wrap up with with no music, no emotional pitch. Because if you're going to stand for truth in life, there's a good chance that at some point, you're going to find yourself alone and uh, maybe even in a little bit of an awkward place. And as I pray for us today as we close this service, I, I hope you'll take a good look at your heart and how you're living out the truth of God's Word. God's Word says that His truth will set us free. And maybe for somebody who's watching this or listening to this or sitting in this room, When I talked about forgiveness and God's grace. Maybe it's been a long time since you've known that. Or maybe truthfully you just never have. And whatever sin it is that has separated you from God. God's speaking to you. About his offer of love and forgiveness. In fact his word says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Will will be saved. And maybe as I pray. The most important thing that you can do is to say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I accept your truth in my life. And I receive your grace and your mercy. Or maybe as we talked today, there were specific places where God's word spoke to you. About how you need to live his truth out in the world around you. And I want to pray that God will give you the strength and courage to do that. And Father, today we thank you for your word. Your word that comes to us with both grace and truth. And Lord, you know that we need to hear both at times in our lives. And so Lord, I pray today for the one who needs to receive your grace, your forgiveness, your love. That in this moment as they reach out to you, God, would you, um, through the power of Jesus Christ, change their lives. And Lord, you've called us to be the light of the world You've called us to take truth to a truthless culture. And so, Lord, as we do, would you give us the strength and courage to live that truth, knowing that you will be with us and be victorious in the end. Now, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Lord, would you send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.